that's a blessing. Enjoyed that. I am so happy I get to be at the Bible Baptist Church, one of my favorite places to come. Love your pastor. Uh, love the great people here. Love what God is doing at your church. And uh, so happy I get to be with you. Mark chapter 5, if you would please. Mark chapter 5. I'm very happy that my wife Chrissy, our daughter Carissa, her husband Thomas, and their children Athlete and Ethan, Ethan are with us today. They're sitting right back here. Now my wife gets very offended if I don't have her stand up <laughs> and have everybody look at her, but my daughter and son-in-law and grandchildren, not so much. So uh, my wife's the real pretty lady. Don't tell anybody. But she had a birthday on Friday. And she's younger than me, all right? I'm 71, but she's younger than me. Also here today, our younger daughter Katie is not with us. Her daughter Sawyer is in the hospital. And I thank you for praying for Sawyer. She had appendicitis. She had a mild case of pneumonia, so they couldn't take the appendix out. And uh, they're working on that. And she developed a slight blood clot in her arm. It's not a real bad one, but she's been in there for several days. But Katie's in-laws, her husband Curtis's parents, Lynn and Sarah Gordon, are right back here. And they're good friends of ours. You could not have better co-in-laws, uh, co-grandparents, if you will, than Lynn and Sarah Gordon. Matthew chapter 5, remind me, preacher, do you typically stand here? When you read the scripture, now what do you usually do? Okay, let's stand together. I do whatever the preacher does, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or fattening. What are you laughing at? Okay, three out of four is not bad, all right? I, uh, I'm scheduled. Well, I went off a schedule to see the doctor Wednesday and get more details, but they tell me I need to have my voice box removed. So right now, you get my Batman voice. <laughs> After this, it'll be R2-D2, all right? <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Matthew 5, 22, the other cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, the Lord Jesus he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come, lay thy hands on her that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus, watch this, went with him. Hey, Jesus wants to go with you. He wants to help you. He wants you to know him. And he wants to never leave you or forsake you. And much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years. Now my theological position, Brother Miller, is that this next verse is the first historical mention of government-run health care. <laughs> and had suffered many things of many physicians and spent all that she had. 
and was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me. The disciples loved to correct the Lord Jesus. Watch it if you find yourself doing it. Watch it if he says do this, and you tell him why that's a bad idea. And he looked round about the seer that had done this thing with the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done, and her came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. The Lord Jesus is making a very important point. You were not healed because you touched my clothes. You were healed because of your faith. Faith is really important to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everybody who ever gets to heaven gets there by faith. They learned one day that they were a sinner. That's not a hard sell. And they learned that their sin offended a holy God. They were in bad trouble with him because of their sin. And the only way they could pay for their sin themselves was to die and go to hell forever. But they learned God loved them. And he didn't want them, and he does not want you or me or anybody else to die and go to hell. Don't you listen to any rascal tells you God picked some people to spend eternity in hell. No, he didn't make hell for human beings. He made hell for the devil and his angels. But wages of sin is death. Here's what God did. Bible says he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's always been God, to become man, born of a virgin, live a sinless life, then go to the cross and bleed and die. And the Bible says Christ died for us. It says Christ died for our sin. Hey, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus died for us. He paid the wages of sin. The question is not what are you going to do about your sin. The question is what do you do about God's son. And the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. Saved from your sin. Saved from dying and going to hell. Saved to everlasting life in heaven. 
believe faith. If you get to heaven, it's because you believed on the Lord Jesus. You said, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. You did what you said you did. And I'm trusting you and you alone to take me to heaven when I die. Really important truth. By the way, anybody who lives a God-honoring Christian life does so by faith. So, he's making a big point. Just one problem. Verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Would you say that together with me, please? Be not afraid, only believe. Would you say it again? Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to go with him to follow him. Say Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him, and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto Talitha Kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he commanded, charged them straightly that no man should know it. And he commanded that something should be given her to eat. Lord, I pray you'd guide me as I am the very best I know. Place you up and be for this group at this hour. Spirit of God, may I be empowered by you, please. Holy Spirit, direct me to say only but all of the things you once said. And speak to our hearts that we may understand what you have for us. And obey the instruction that you give us. I ask, Lord, that you'd bind Satan and the unclean spirits that follow him. That they would fail as they seek to snatch the seed of your word from the soil of our hearts. Help us to determine in our own spirit that we'll be good ground and receive gladly what you have for us and act obediently upon it. We'll give you all praise for what you do. Help those who do not know that they have a home in heaven to know that before they walk out of this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Man comes to Jesus with a request. It's a request of fervor. He besought him greatly. It's a request of feeling my little 
daughter. It's a request of faith. She's lying sick of a fever. But I believe, Jesus, if you'd come and put your hand on her head, that she would be made well. And Jesus goes with her. But there's that lady in the crowd. Her issue is not critical. It's chronic. Twelve years. It doesn't matter if she's helped today, tomorrow, next week, next month. She touches his garment. She's made well. And Jesus says, lady, I need you to know something. Touching my garment didn't do a thing. Believing in me did everything. Nobody gets to heaven because they touch the bone of a dead saint. Nobody is helped because they buy a prayer cloth off of the television from the hooky pooky station and hang on to it when they pray. Everybody is saved by and helped by faith. But while he waits to make that important point, Jairus' daughter dies. Can you imagine what Jairus is thinking during this day? How frustrated, how eager, how anxious. His daughter, he told Jesus, is at the point of death. And he waits. With some extremely callous, cruel, hard, uncaring people come from his house. Listen to their message. Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Hey, Stop bothering Jesus. Your daughter's dead. Let him help somebody who's still alive. Wow. I was a volunteer chaplain for the sheriff's department for about 20 years. I made a lot of death notifications. If I had ever made one like that, I would have been immediately dismissed from my volunteer job. And Jesus says, say with me again, be not afraid, only believe. Now, it's early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Jairus apparently knows the Lord Jesus can make blind people see and lame people walk and deaf people hear. But Jesus, as is recorded in Scripture, only ever raised three people back to life. This young lady the son of the widow of Nain and Lazarus. And Jairus, though he believes that Jesus can make a sick daughter well, has no reason to believe he can make a dead daughter live. Now, here's what God does. He lets what Jairus could imagine happen become impossible. See, we understand ways God could work. Well, I might get a mortgage forgiveness. I might get a raise. My rich aunt might have the decency to finally die and leave me some money. This new medicine might work. This doctor might be able to fix it. This class 
might help our problems. This counselor might take care of it. This preacher might be able to reach my wayward child. And God often lets us deliberately get past the point that that is possible. And then he says, Hey, Jairus, you came to me in faith. Now, things have gotten worse. But you don't need new faith. You don't need more faith. You don't need different faith. No, there's only one thing, Jairus, you need to do. You need to continue to exercise the faith you already have. Say it with me again. Be not afraid, only believe. God does that to us all the time. And uh, I don't know what your problem is. But you got to listen to me. That's your main problem today. I don't know what your burden is. Preacher did not give me a list of all the needs of all the people in the church and all the things to straighten out. He never tells me any details at all about that kind of stuff. I don't know, but I do know the answer. You don't need new faith. You don't need more faith. You don't need different faith. But you do need to keep on exercising the faith you already have. So there's a request. There's a response. Jesus goes with him. And there's a reassurance. Jairus, you came to me in faith. Don't be afraid. Just Keep on believing. She, uh, made in our church, young, married lady, couple of sweet little girls. She taught in a Christian school, not the one our church operated, but one in the area. And they seemed like a great family. One day her husband left. No support. Just left. Now she's got the salary of a Christian school teacher. And now she has two daughters, no other income. She works all day, comes home, cleans, cooks, does the laundry, and has to make sure the trash is taken out, and has to make sure the leaky faucet is fixed, and has to make sure the car has gas and oil is changed. It's hard. One day, she came to my office. She placed on my desk a piece of paper. On one side at the bottom, there were three stick figures. On the other side, there was one stick figure. A big heart was in the center of the paper with a jagged line down the middle showing that the heart was broken. She said, my youngest daughter handed me this picture and said, Mom, this is how I feel now that dad left us. And then she said to me, what do I tell her? I gave her a rather profound thought. This may help you, Brother Miller. I looked at her and I said, I don't know. I don't know. What'd she do? Well, she stayed in church. She kept her daughters in church. 
and she worked hard and she tried to raise them and she loved them and she tried to please the Lord and honor God. Just keep on believing. Not new faith, not more faith, not different faith, but continue to exercise the faith you have. Nobody came in a white uniform on a white horse to whisk her away. No large sum of money given to her. No great father figure come in to mentor the girl. But she kept on believing. And I lived to have the privilege, Brother Miller, of performing the weddings for both of those young ladies to godly young men. Uh, just keep on believing. My dad, I'd say when he was 21 years of age, I told you a story when I was here last time. First time he ever heard the gospel. His dad was Catholic, his mom was Methodist, and he never went to church maybe three or four times in his whole life. And he heard the gospel. He heard that though he was a sinner, God loved him and wanted him to go to heaven. He heard that he couldn't take care of his sin himself, but that Jesus had paid for it by shedding his blood on the cross. And that if he trusts Jesus and him alone, he could have everlasting life. My dad was brilliant. His IQ was 149. That's nine points above genius. Genius is 140. Average graduate students, 130. Average college students, 120. Average American is 100. The average Georgia football fan is 70. <laughs> the average fast food worker is 55. My dad was brilliant when he heard the gospel. He said, man, that sounds like a good deal to me. And he trusted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And he began to witness to his family and found out his mother had trusted Christ as a little girl. His dad wouldn't get saved. His sisters, someone got saved. Nieces and nephews, some of them got saved. And he prayed for his dad for 17 years. My Aunt Ruthie called one night. We were living in Detroit. And uh, she said, Dad's in the hospital with emphysema. He may have a few weeks, few months. But if you want to see him again, you probably ought to come pretty quick. My dad threw some clothes in the car immediately. Drove all night from Michigan to Massachusetts. Went straight to the hospital. Witnessed to his father, Dad, something happened to me 17 years ago. I know it's a And he shared the gospel and said, Dad, won't you trust Christ? And my grandfather said, no. My dad said, why not? He said, son, all my life, I worked for everything I had. My grandpa was a troubleshooter for the power company. Raised seven children through the Depression. My dad is the sixth of the seven and was born in 1927. He said, I never went on the dole. I never took a dime from everybody. To think the only way I get to heaven is to accept a gift of everlasting life. 
I just don't think I can do that. By the way, the only way you get to heaven is to accept God's gift of everlasting life. And when a gift is offered you, you always respond. If I came up and offered this good bass player a handshake, he just took my handshake. He might have just pretended he didn't see me. He might have said, oh, I got a cold. He, he might have said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have a hand. <laughs> but if he did anything but reach out and take my hand, he rejected my offer of a handshake. If you don't know you're on your way to heaven, you could know before you walked out of this room. God offers you the gift of eternal life. And you either say yes, like my dad did, that sounds like a good deal to me, or by doing anything else, you turn it down. Well, you can think what you want about this. My dad said to his dad, would you like to see my mother again? Dad said, oh yeah, she's a good woman. We had a lot of good years together. And he said, the only way you'll ever see her again is to accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And my grandpa said, all right. And he prayed and trusted Christ. The doctor came in and said, Mr. Willette, we have to take your father for a blood transfusion. Dad said, you go right ahead. He's just been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the kindness of the Lord. My dad had a revival meeting nearby where my grandpa lived. Grandpa lived in a little town called Brimfield out in the country. And um, the meeting was in Warren. Now, I remember two things about my grandpa Willette. Number one, he was missing the middle two fingers on his right hand because of a saw accident. And I was just intrigued as a kid to see him pick a tissue out of a tissue box with his little and index fingers. Just, I'm easy to impress. <laughs> Number two, he sat in his easy chair in his living room, smoking pell-mell cigarettes. I know you say Paul Mall, but when I was a kid in Detroit, we called him pell-mell. And uh, watching television until the test patterns came on. Yeah. Some of you know, most of you have no idea what that is. <laughs> TV wasn't always on all the time. Went off one or two in the morning, they had a little test pattern on there, and you tuned your television to it. We went back. Grandpa still sat in the chair. Still smoked cigarettes. But now he had a big, giant print Bible my dad got him, and he's reading that Bible all the time. And now... We come back from the meetings, and every night he would say, Son, did anybody get saved tonight? What did my dad do different? Nothing. Same witness, same testimony, 17 years, not new faith, not more faith, not different faith, but he did continue to exercise the faith he had. Say it again with me. Be not afraid, only believe. Oliver Cromwell took over after a Roman Catholic in the nation of England. There was a lot of strife and a lot of civil war. He had to fight to maintain control. He was strict. They called him the one strong man of England. One day, one of his young soldiers had violated one of Cromwell's rules. 
we would have thought this was harsh, but the penalty Cromwell had was that the soldier should be hanged at the ringing of curfew. The young soldier was engaged. His fiancée ran to Cromwell, and she pled for the life of her intended. Cromwell was touched, but he said, I'm sorry. If I let him get away with this, everybody will think they can get away with everything. I'm very sorry, but your fiancé will die at the ringing of curfew tonight. But she kept on believing. And she went to the bell tower. <coughs> Climbed the steps into that high tower. At great peril, climbed over the bell and grabbed, grabbed the big clapper and wrapped her body around the old deaf sextant came to ring the curfew. The bell swung as it always had. But now, instead of the clang and ringing of metal on metal, there was a muffled sound, a very faint sound of flesh on metal. He figured his job was done. Cromwell came to find out why curfew had not rung that night. And a poet recorded their encounter with these words. At his feet, she told her story. Showed her hands all bruised and torn. And her young, sweet face, still haggard with the anguish it had worn, touched his heart with sudden pity. Lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Would you say it again? Be not afraid, only believe. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to our hearts through it. Help us now to hear and to obey. <laughs> 